Hi everyone, welcome to episode 36 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. If this is your first time listening to Inside View podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you go back to episode and have a listen. Please do rate, review, tell your friends, family who may know about the podcast, we'd really appreciate it. Um, any interaction that you may have about the podcast, please do tag us on social media, we'd really, really appreciate it. We'd uh, appreciate your feedback as well. And if you could also, like I said a few minutes ago, if you could click subscribe, on um on whatever platform you use we would really appreciate it a uh, big shout out to our sponsor GRG sports thanks thanks again guys for the continued support um if you're looking to tug out your local sports team or if you're looking to tug out your you know your employees and work or even if you want to you know even if it's a youth club or if it's a, a soccer club football club whatever the case may be or even if it's a lo- local school be sure to get in t- contact with them they'd be more than happy to you know to have more than happy to, to help you out in some some way um also a big shout out to Vintry Harbour Asset Management Company uh they're an asset management company based in Connecticut in the US uh thanks very much again guys for coming on board there a couple of weeks ago uh if you're looking at doing something with with um some surplus money you have at the moment be sure to get in contact with andrew o'shea of Vintry harbour asset management he'd be more than happy to to assist you um you know hopefully get good return for for your money um rather than just having to sit and sitting there um the the, the guys over there in connecticut be more than happy to, to help you out in whatever way possible uh, if you're looking for contact details for andrew be sure to to drop us an email and we'd be more than happy to put you in contact with him um this week actually was a, a massive week for on the ball team building um we received a business accredita- accreditation from the all-star all-ireland business all-stars apologies um basically the business all-star accreditation it gives uh gives rewards to companies who would be defined as progressive indigenous irish businesses which meet the highest standards of verified performance trust and customer centricity it's very much independent and it's uh it's actually dream come true for us here at don the ball team building to you know to receive such an award um it's really a you know really emphasizes and highlights the you know the hard work and dedication that we've we've all been put in um and when we do have the team building activities you know the customers are always number one and the everything is done to the highest standard and you know everyone who leaves or is leaving happy and satisfied after a good good couple days with us um Again, look, thanks to everyone who made that possible. Um, thanks to everyone who gives us a hand on each day or, or you know, who is a supplier or a stakeholder in, in some shape or form. We really, really do appreciate it and we'll never forget it. And hopefully this is the start of big, big things to come for on the ball team building. It's now time to bring on this week's guest and I'm delighted to be joined by Dublin GA legend Vinnie Murphy. His honesty, powerfulness and incredible skill made him a favourite of the hill. Murphy spent 10 seasons representing the boys in blue, but also spent 3 years playing football in Kerry. Murphy was, has a deep love affair for the kingdom, as it is there he openly admits he rejuvenated his love for Gaelic football. The 1992 All-Star was part of the Dublin side that got over the line and achieved all-around success in 1995. A team that was stacked with a huge amount of leaders, a lot of them have went on uh, and coached and managed and in- achieved incredible success 
which we will no doubt get into. Vinny, uh, welcome to the Inside View podcast. How are you keeping during these challenging times? Yeah, no, look, I'm good. I'm, I suppose I'm, I'm like everybody else. You're trying to, I suppose, I'm working from home. So you're trying to keep the mind um, <clears throat> busy and you're sort of trying to keep active as well in, in, as much as you can. And I suppose I'm going as well as anybody can expect it, you know, with the strange sort of uh, environment we're in. So I'll go to the moment anyway. Good, good. And how how's the last couple of months been for you? I suppose, I suppose during summer it mightn't been too bad, but this this lockdown, do you find a big big change? Yeah, well, look during, during the summer, you had the you know, the bright nights and you can get out, and there was a little bit. Uh, it wasn't as the, the lockdown wasn't as draconian as it is now, so you could get out and meet people to to some degree. Um, and I, I suppose then we had the. Us dubs had the enjoyment then of seeing the, the six in a row that brought us right up with Christmas and Christmas kept you busy um as well. So that was that was all great. And then into the new year and then you know the January blues kick in and all of a sudden we're in level five and there there's no football on the telly and you know you have to work I don't watch soccer, but you know, all you see is that uh, I call it the low ball game on, on telly and it's 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 very boring. I put it on when I want to go to sleep. So I'm sort of, you know, looking forward to the, the stretch in the evenings and stuff like that, getting out for walks and and stuff like that, and then sort of meeting friends and and family when you when you when you can, and then look looking forward for the games to get back involved again. So you know that's that's what you're hoping for, like you know. And on, on top of everything else, in 2020, uh, you're supposed to have the 25th anniversary of the All Ireland win. That that didn't go ahead either, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm a jinx. I've, I've said it before, like you know what I mean. That's, um, you know, if Carl's back, they had bad luck. They put me, they put me on the as a poster boy for them. Like, you know, I, I played in played in three finals, started in two, and watch Collins then in the the final in '95. I came on the last couple of minutes, didn't get a touch. We win the All Ireland, which is gas. Um, I nominated for ultimate all-stars all stars 80 89 i should have probably won it but i got sent off the week before the award so that discounted me straight away um and then you have the 91 all that type of stuff um there's loads of other bits and pieces there like you know what i mean but yeah the 25th anniversary you're supposed to get the new suits and have a few nights meet up with the lads and all that type of stuff and we, we didn't get that now there's talk we might get something this year or whatever but you know, we'd be walking out with a me team that won the other in the following year, which won't, you know, uh, those of me, it's a bit like Kerry and Cork. It's, you know, there, there could be tr- trouble in the tunnel before the presentation and stuff like that. All joking aside, we get on well with some of the, those mead fellas. We realise now we're we're the same, uh, two, two different sides of the same coin, really, you know. True, yeah, I know, definitely. And, and you had some remarkable games um, against me. The, just like a lot of the listeners all mightn't be aware of, but in, in 91, there were four games, wasn't there? That must have been crazy. Yeah, well, look, look you're going back to, it's a different era, but I, I'm not saying a more honest era. If you look, the football was a little bit more hot and heavy um, in terms of the, the contact. The Dublin and me games were absolutely savage physical contact, you know, games and there was no quarter given or asked. And, you know, if, if you showed a sign of weakness, you'd get trampled on. And that's the way those games were. And it's not like now where Dublin are totally on top of, of where Mead are asked. Back then, Dublin and Mead were always for about five or six years in the top two or three teams in the country. 
So it was nearly a, almost, you know, if you beat Mead, you had a great chance of going and winning an all-Ireland. Mead would have seen the same with, with Dublin. Uh, the rivalries, like I, I still have battle scars from some of those games from down through the years and stuff like that. But, you know, they, they, they were great games because I think um, Italian 90 was on. The Irish soccer team were really on an upper curve with Jack Carlton and there was a lot of talk on that. And like GAA at the time in, in, in the in the capital, you know, back then, the late, you know, all through the 70s and 80s, and um, when the, the Dublin team in the 70s dissipated, I suppose, the I suppose the support in the capital wasn't anywhere near where it was or where it is now today. And I think those four games sort of reignited um, the game within Dublin. And, you know, there, there were... Other than us getting beaten, eventually they were hugely pressurised games, hugely poured, captured the, the imagination of not just Dublin and Mead sports, but the whole of the country. You know, there, there were full houses at the first round of a Lancer Championship match for four games. Like, so it was like four all Ireland finals in the first round of Lancer, which is absolutely incredible to, to be involved in. But as I said, ultimately we got beaten. So, you know, it's great to be be known that you're involved in the bus um, also know that we, we ended up we got beaten as well it would have been nice to have been involved in that and gone on and won so that would have really franked the year but look I suppose it's great to be involved in something that uh, people will reference in, in as, as they are now but going back in another 10-15 years time so like 50 years after the event people be talking about games that you played in which is you know, it, it's, at the time we didn't realise that, but now you look back and you go, you know, it was an amazing time, amazing sort of games. And, you know, it wasn't the fact that there were just draws, there were draws after extra time and then to lose the game by a point in, in the last minute was just, you know, it was like rider over stuff, you know. And were the games played back to back or was there a week or two in between? <clears throat> the, from what I can recall, the, the you know the, the first game was played then that would have been you know early I think that was late May I think and then the next game was played the following week and then there was I think there was a a week break and then there was a two week week break between the the last game I know there was a break somewhere between I think between the tour game and the and the last one. And we were training hard and we were doing all this type of stuff. We were going to saunas and all that type of stuff, which we wouldn't have been used to. And Mead went off over to Scotland, I believe, for a weekend and had a bit of a blowout in having terms of having a few points and all that type of stuff and played a bit of football. And we didn't do that. And I, I think what, what Boylan done was a stroke of genius, like because what we wouldn't have been aware of and after we, we sort of realised that we were in a sort of pressure cooker, we were in a sort of goldfish bowl. It was like for six, seven weeks, you're you're playing, all, it's like all Ireland final week. And, the, you know, the attention, people looking at you, talking to you, it just became very hot and heavy in, in training and the depression, the stress of the whole thing. And I think Mead had that sort of release valve where he got away to Scotland. There was a few, uh, few points, there was a few arguments and all that type of stuff that you have when you're away. Um, but, they came back for the last one refreshed because I think they were an older team than us and I think they they were feeling the effects more than we were in terms of physical. I think it was it was a few uh, mental scars with our lads um, that were, were holding us back. But with them, it was a physical. So I think what Boylan done was fantastic that he he brought them away and let them let the hair down and de- decompress, I suppose, for the weekend beforehand. And then they came in and, and, and played the last game, which... You know, we all know how that ends. 
Yeah, just it was. I, I read somewhere. I don't know is it true, but I think Boylan had him training in in the water at some stage. Eddie, was there some truth in that? Yeah, well, we look. I was like everyone else. You would have, um, you would have heard, you know, the, what they were doing running the hills of Tara. They were down the beaches and all that type of stuff. <clears throat> and look, that wouldn't have really bothered us. Really, we we would have. I, I suppose all the Dublin teams I would have played on would have felt that we were the fittest team in the country. And not, you know, I know a lot. A lot of teams would have would have felt that, but. You know, in their preparation to, to those games, Fran Reuter was the trainer and, you know, Fran's training was way ahead of his time. It wasn't, we'd come from, say, I came to the late 80s, 88, 89 and 90 and air training re- revolved around, there was a 40 minute jog at the start and the only change in the training was the direction you ran. And then it got the 400s, you know, or 800s, 400s, 200s, 100s. And very rarely you ran any, any, any shorter than um, 50 metres. With Fran, he brought it in where he tried to make a more football basis that we very rarely sprinted further than 50 yards. We might have uh, strided or gone three-quarter pace for 100 yards, but that was just to build up the legs. So we would have felt we were we were as strong as, as, as they were, but I suppose the difference, and I learned after... Um, the, the, the teams that bet us in, in the 90s, the way they prepared compared to the way we did, we thought we were very professional. You know, in 95, I thought, look, we, we had it. We're the most professionally trained. And the training we did was fantastic and the preparation. But I went down to, to Kerry in 96 and played with Cairns or Atleys and uh, they had better preparation than the Dublin footballers had in terms of how they looked after players and how things were put on. And that sort of was an eye-opener. And then you meet the Kerry fellas, um, Barry O'Shea would have been a, a teammate, and you see what they're doing in training and uh, the way they're sort of t- coached and the way they're spoke to, I suppose, managed by uh, different selectors. That was totally alien to Dublin at the time. It's, it's hugely important now, but um, we weren't doing any of that. And then I heard the Northern teams were going to the end degree, bringing their own. Uh, priests to say mass on the Sunday morning before games, bringing their pillows and all this type of stuff. And we were sort of going, "What? Well, okay, uh, we weren't anywhere near that level." Now, uh, as I said, like I, you know, Fran would have been fantastic as a, as as for doing the drills and the coaching. But I suppose we were always left to our own devices um, after training. So we got up to all sorts in terms of our recuperation after matches and after training and all that type of stuff. Where I think. Uh, players from other counties probably trained a little bit harder and a little bit smarter at times. But look, that's that's that that was the time that we were in it. So if you don't know any better, you don't know any better, you know. Yeah, no, no, definitely. It's amazing how the whole professional the whole setup is is gone now. But um, we'll just touch on that later on. Just I suppose bring it back. Just when you give us an overview of um, when did football start for you? I know your father played with um, Dublin and won All Ireland in ninety five. So. We've been kind of from first day, I suppose. Yeah, well, I suppose the apple doesn't fall too far from the the, the tree. Like my father won a minor in, in '55, and he won a junior in, in '60. He had a he had a few disciplinary issues there uh, between '55 and '60 that discounted him from uh, getting selected from the seniors. Like I suppose he, he's um, he's the, he's departed now and. He'd be embarrassed by me saying it because like, he was a, such a gentleman that um, he, don't, he he had to withstand two six-month suspension, which if you go back in the late 50s, you know, you, you could have shot someone on the field and you wouldn't have got six months. So that was, he, I still to this day don't know what uh, 
what happened. I know um, his mother was involved in one and the referee got hit with an umbrella and stuff like that. But um, look, my father had a huge graph for, for, for the game and he was one of the, the, the sort of founding members of the club I played with in Trinity Gales. Like So I sort of grew up in the, in the 70s and GAA that was, was, wasn't that, that was that really in Dublin. Um, and I suppose then, I think it was 74, 75, Trinity, the, the initial start of them came up and my father was involved in that and they got a pitch. Um, and like I was on my father's coattails going everywhere with him and to these meetings and stuff like that. At the time, my, my uncle, Noel, who, who was involved with the Dublin County Board and still is, and he was Leinster Council Delegate for years as well. Um, he, his club, that he was, he's now with Nafina, but um, they would have been involved in a club called St. Callions from the inner city in Dublin. And they would have uh, policed part of Crow Park as stewards for, for match days. So every Sunday when Dublin were playing in Crow Park, there was a match in Crow Park. I was in doing steward and I was just looking to get the, you get a, a now there was a little bit of cardboard that says um, for your, your, your lunch uh, under the Hogan stand so you were just looking to go in and get that so <clears throat> I would have been my dad would have looked after um, say the junior team in, in the club at the time there would have been fellas from all over the country playing and after that then I'd be brought into Crow Park you'd be you know five and six brought in to sit up in the top deck of the Hogan stand nobody else around you nobody else there and you're watching whatever matches might be on and you know it, it was a great sort of ground that you know to see fellas like when I'm six and I, I could solo and I could do this and I, I thought I was a better footballer than the fellas in the field and all that type of stuff. But I got you up close and personal with the with say the county game, but the, the GAA. You'd be talking to your mates then about it, and they would have absolutely no idea who you're talking about or what this player or that player or whatever. And it sort of grew from there that the we got a oh, got, we got a school team going then in primary school. Um Jerry Grogan, the Kerry man, was uh was a teacher in the school above uh, Holy Trinity. Um now I was down in the far school. So I wasn't in his his school, but I was down below. And we set up a team, we got to Crow Park and we won it one year, the Mac Griffin trophy. So that was that was the start of it. But they were all they used Trinity Gales jersey, used to bring the jerseys on me back to school and the balls and people used to call me the here's the bog baller and all this type of stuff, you know. So it was sort of uh, it, it wasn't trendy to, to be involved in Gaelic football. It was seen as a countryman's game. And compared to where it is now, it's usually sexy to be involved in Dublin football and be a Dublin footballer or be a Dublin supporter. But back back then, it wasn't. It was only um, if your if your folks were from the country, you got involved. But my parents are both dubs, and <clears throat> but my dad had a huge graph for it just because the school he played played with uh, Clash to Era. And you know he he has family from Cork, but he he got it from going to the school there, and it, it just stayed with him all his life then, and that's that just rubbed off me then, you know. Yeah, it's just it's, it's a that's actually interesting. I never realised it was kind of more more you know seen as a country boy sport back then. It's amazing how yeah it's yeah. Um, I suppose just tell us then, you know, when you kind of broke onto the, the Dublin scene, I know you actually broke onto the hurdlers first, um, Dublin Miners, which I found I didn't really know at, at the start. Yeah, well, I suppose underage, I was always considered a better hurler than a footballer. Like I, people would have said I was a good footballer and a good hurler, but if you had to 
had to choose, I, they'd say it was a better hurler. Um, hurling came more naturally to me. I, for whatever reason, when I picked up a hurler, I was able to hit with both hands fairly fairly easy. I was as good in the air in Hurling, um, probably better because at that stage, there was very little jumping for the ball in Hurling, but I had that time to catch a ball, so I was able to get up and fetch. Um, I always say, look, the standard in Dublin Hurling back then wasn't as high as it is now, so it was probably easier to stand out as a hurler back then compared to the football. But I, ne- I never really seemed to get a fair crack of the whip off um, underage football managers for, for whatever reason um, that I seemed to get to the last 40. And I, don't, I, I think maybe the club I, I was involved with that we, we were playing at such a low level and a new enough club that, you know, it was like, oh, we go with a club that are playing, um, that are more, how would you say, we know where what type of club they are, um, rather than going with somebody that was new. Um, my uncle, as I said, no, he was more into hurling and he was a good friend of Jim Boggan, who was the, the minor hurling managers and stuff like that. So, I just I played in all the, the underage hurling squads. Um, never got a look in at the the Dublin footballers, and I suppose I've often said, said it since that I was played a football all the way up at the club. We got to the the under sixteen county final against Ballymun, and like that was Jerry McCall's club. And I remember that I was playing midfield for the club at that stage, and I think that the the two Dublin under sixteen midfielders were. We're playing with Ballymun, they would have six or seven on the panel. We didn't have a, we didn't have one. And you know, I, I I had one of my best games probably in, in the, the the drawn game. And it was sort of said, How's this fella not on not even number 35 or whatever? So I had a good I had a good game there. We got we drew that game. I damaged the the quad just in the last kick. I got the drawn point. And I wasn't right for the, the game the week after. And done all right, but it wasn't particularly particularly good. Um, and Alan Arkin then for the Dublin Miners um, asked me up to play and I got to the final 35, I think, and we were playing Monaghan in a friendly game. This is uh, 86. So I would have been 16 at the time. And I had one four scored. I had two markers taken off me and another one put on me. Declan Bulger was actually full forward and the tour fella came on was giving me a bit of throwing a few digs into me and I was sort of going right no you can't react can't react can't react and just play me game but just said you can't let him do that so of course you draw back and you throw a, throw a, throw a box and I got the curly finger and that was it I was off the panel and I was sort of saying I'm about to ruining me chances because Alan had been there for, for years so I knew it still had the following year um, that the, with the minors and that was grand and the trials came up and I hated trials because I hate playing during the winter um, hate plating during coldness so I went um, for the first trial and I had trained particularly hard over the Christmas to I said right I'm going to this is going to be my year so played the, we played the first friendly game played me wing back because I used to play midfield and centre back with the club and played wing back at one two or one three scored after the the first half because the rest of the fellas were at the winter and well which I did since but um, I was flying fit top of the ground and so that was it. He just said, lads, such and such, um, we're going to have more trials. We're doing this and do that. So I just asked this about, like, when when, when am I going to be back in? He said, you'll be, you're going to be brought in for training, so don't you be worried. Just keep doing what you're doing. So that was that was great. I knew I was at the making the panel after that. So, But I, I was on the hurling panel all the time, and I, I would have thought, yeah, I'm definitely on midfield for the hurling panel 
that's that's midfield or centre forward. That's not going to be an issue. And I suppose this me me love hate relationship with Dublin Hurling then sort of um, started. Um, that we we played in the the friendly matches, and because I was playing with the football team, and there was never an issue between me playing hurling and football. There was other fellas that had done it all the way up playing in both squad both both squads, and they didn't seem to get the same. Um, I don't know. This, they got more of a hop of the ball than I did with the hurling management, anyway. And Jim Bagham was the hurling manager. He was the senior hurling manager as well at the time. So we were playing Kilkenny in the for, the, the first round of Leinster, and I was dropped. I, for, I hadn't a clue what the what was that to happen. And the other two lads that were on the football panel, um, Ronan Dodd and and Sean Flanagan, um, two good players in hurling and football, and they were played and. I got brought on after 20 minutes and I, I, I hurled with a fury that day that I've seldom played with since. Um, we ran Kilkenny to a couple of points and I was brought out to play two or three weeks later with the senior hurlers uh, that were trying preparing for the National League coming up. And I was sort of going, you're not good enough to start one week and then you're being brought out with the seniors. So there was sort of mix, mixed messages then. So I trained with the hurlers then as a 17-year-old um, back in 87, all the way up to the, the spring of uh, eight, 88. We we were going well at the club. I, I played minor and I'd done quite well at minor level. I, I got a few goals and that. And I suppose the game that marked marked me out, I suppose, for future would have been we played Wicklow in a in a, in a championship match before the seniors. Um and Fergus Daly that played midfield for for Wicklow after. Um he was playing midfield and he was a massive, massive man. And he was dominating the kickouts and we couldn't get out and I was playing centre forward and our, I had a couple of points scored after twenty minutes and I was Look, when you have to go in and mark him, and like I was, he was, I was giving them at least a foot, I think, and height. So I just said to our keeper, you know, put the ball ten or fifteen yards to the side, so give me a chance to run at it. And we eventually got over, got over Wicklow. Um, we beat them by two or three points, but it was it was a tough game, and they reckoned that was the move that made a difference. And Fergus Daly then talked out for the senior footballers against Dublin. Then after that, so that was a big sort of well for me. It was like oh. And he actually played well then for the Wicklow seniors against the Dublin seniors. So I was, um, I went from there where the, the I think the the Dublin seniors then were, they would have in say February had um, friendly matches or trial games amongst each other before the National League started up again, where they bring club players in and they they give them a go against uh, certain fellas. So I went in and I was asked to go up and play. I'd been playing with the hurlers. So I told them what I was doing. So I played in National League for the hurlers while this was going on before Christmas and early in January or February. So I went up and I played the game. And after we were in the dressing room, the manager, Jerry McCall, comes in and says, OK, lads, for everybody, uh, we're training again Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday, and all that type of stuff. And I was going, right, so I'm taught Rightly or wrongly, I was on the panel and I went training Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday for, for about four or five weeks. And I was getting calls from the hoarders. Well, I'm told you'd have to sort it out and stuff like that. So Jerry McCall then, after about five, and says to me, I said, how come you're coming? I said, well, you told us in the dressing room. But he had a smile on his face. He said, Vinnie, you're not actually on the panel. So he says, what? 
and he just says, "Look, but you've you've done all right in training, and you're going all right. So we want to we want to hold on to you." I didn't know whether he thought I was being cheeky or just a bit taken. I think it was more the latter than the, the previous one. Like so, um, I was on the hurling panel, hurling football panel then for for eighty eight, um, and. I was sort of very lucky, as, as I said, Jerry McCall had seen me playing against uh, Ballymun, so he knew the, the the type of player I was. Then the following year, he was Dublin manager and seeing me playing minor, and there would have been a bit more talk about me in, in terms of football. And it just seemed to fall in the right way that at, at the time Barney Rock got it, still trouble with his shoulder, so I got a couple of I got a couple of games in the National League while Barney was out injured. And then Barney was coming back, so it was like the one to lose out is going to be Vinny. I said, "Yeah, well, look, Barney Rock was such a legend at the time." And then Kieran Duff um, hurt his knee, so Kieran was was out. So I moved wings, and I got another couple of games in in half forward because instead of instead of Dully, and then Dully was coming back, and it was like, "Right, Vinny's going to lose out because you're talking about two of the best footballers that Dublin ever had." And I was saying, right, Grant, I'm going to go onto the bench or maybe up to the corner forward or whatever it might have been. And then Tommy Conroy's hamstring went, so he ended up centre forward. So I ended up playing the championship then because I had six games in the bounce and I was getting better and more confident as the games went on. And so it's, it's, it's amazing. Like I could have been there for six months and never got a look in. Or I could have been there for a year and never got a look in. But it just happened that one fella got injured, he got games. And then another fella got injured, he got game. Three fellas. So you end up nearly playing the whole National League because um, someone, someone was injured, basically. So that's, that's how it started. Well, so you, you need the, the look at the bringing as well, don't you, at times to... Like, like you said there, you 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 trained with the the seniors for six weeks, and yeah. initially you weren't supposed to be. You probably just need to, to look at the green and hope it hope it goes your way. And the, the the way the guys got injured as well. Yeah, no, look, that's like a, a lot of it. I think what's meant for you won't pass it by. Like, you know, I'm without I. I I I, end, I I would have had the skill levels and I would have had the the stuff to play at that level. So it wasn't a case where it was all luck. But I'm just saying, I've, I've, in my career, I've seen a lot of fellas coming onto on the Dublin football panels and looking like they really had the stuff that they were going to make, but didn't really get a chance. Um, for whatever reason, back then it was it was hard to get onto the Dublin panel, but it was even harder to get off it. And once you'd made the team. Um, it was almost as if the the first fifteen were going were were really set in stone probably February or March of that year, and barring injury because you could have been playing absolutely diabolical um, in the league, they just trust that your form would come in and you, you were playing. So that's that's how tough it was. And if you broke the mold and were playing so well where you couldn't be ignored, you played the first round of Leinster, and if it didn't go, you didn't get an eight or nine out of ten. You were whipped off, and that was your chance. And Somebody else would, would come in and, and and take the place that you know the stalwart. So throughout most of the the eighties and nineties, barn fellas that were retired or um, dropped off the panel for whatever reason, that you knew who the eighteen or nineteen fellas were going to be playing championship football as far as back in January. You know, so that's that's the way it was, and it's just I'm that, I'm just sort of lucky, as I said, that those chances I got those six games at the very very start. Because if I didn't get those six games, you might never taken off. Then you know. One thing I I was I found remarkable. You know, you hear people getting um, double marked, and I, I 
I was doing my research and I, I heard you were often double marked underage um, on speaking to a guy from who used to play against you, I think, with Vincent's. But uh, it was a regular occurrence in it, um, been double marked. But in the 92 All Ireland um, against Donegal, you were triple marked. How, how did that, how did you manage that? And you still got 19 position, possessions. Well, you see, the, I, I, I suppose we, we had played um, all throughout my career. I was, you know, I, I was that much stronger than most other fellas. Um, well, I suppose up until from under 14 or 15 onwards, I would have been, I'm not a gym bunny in terms of weights, but I would have done a whole pile of press-ups and sit-ups. Like, you know, I was up to doing 100 press-ups, 100 sit-ups in a minute, squat trusts. They were my bread and butter stuff. I would have vet them for me breakfast in, in terms of from the age of 10. And I st- sort of stopped that at age 16 or 17. And so all my strength and I'll say physique back then what it came from, what I call life strength from lifting your own body weight and stuff like that. So when you were playing, I wasn't particularly tall, like I'm, I'm, just, I'm six foot, but um, playing midfield back in those days, you had to be six two at least. And at six two, you were small. So I felt you had to have, um, you have to have something in terms of strength, but I also had the spring and the time to catch a ball in good hands so fellas used to sort of want to try and stop me win the ball. And then I had the other thing. Once I was able to catch the ball, unlike some of the big animals that used to play midfield, I could actually move a small bit with the ball. I could solo the ball and I could do different things with it. So they'd have someone down waiting for me if I, if I caught the ball. But in, in, in 92, we had played Donegal. Um, I sort of got us, went through a bit of a, a patch after 91 where I think a lot of fellas I've, I've, I've seen uh, recently um, talk about taking the game too seriously and you know it, it is a pastime and you take it seriously but I, I used to think about the game 24-7 and never left me and um, there was no downtime I was my own I was my own biggest critic which was very hard at the time especially you were being hard on yourself and then everybody else is saying yeah it is your fault you know so um, I I was wasn't starting in in early '92 in the league, and I, you know, Paddy Cullen to his credit always says you're getting there, you're getting there. I was training hard, and I was coming back after winter and well after '91, um, after wallowing in the defeat of '91 after '91. So I didn't get any game time, and we were playing Donegal up in Donegal, or now up in Cavan. Refney Park and we were getting beaten and with about five, six minutes to go, they they put me in and I won three or four uh, balls. I set up a goal and scored a goal and we beat Tony Gall against the head. Now we could have and should have got bet that day. And, you know, we got fairly, fairly tanked in the next game anyway. But I think they copped on that I was a threat to them that he didn't have somebody to compete with me in the air. So when I got to the final, I, 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 that was me, my best year playing county. I was doing very well against uh, a lot of teams. The only team that's, that seemed to have caught me a, a fair bit would have been probably Kildare with Mikko in, in, in charge. And Mikko used to always drop. It, it was a sweeper, but it was more to stop the ball into me than anywhere else. So I was well used to playing in that, but, you know, Donegal brought something new. The, the ball... Uh, was still being kicked from the ground from freeze in the middle so it wasn't being moved as quickly as it is today and the two midfielders dropped back one in front of me one you know and I mean sandwich between them it wasn't where there was garbage but I always as I said my standing jump was as good as anybody in the in the game and because I was strong I was able to bounce off 
someone as I was jumping up and hanging there for, for, for a time. So they had the two midfielders back there and they had then the fullback, McAller, who I keep slagging when I see him. He only touched the ball three times, but uh, still won the All-Star this year, that year. But look, you know, he deserved it for, for, for that game and other games. And it was hugely frustrating for me because, you know, you win a lot of possession, you come down and I suppose after 91 of being fellas going, it's your fault, it's your fault. And then after 92, it was my fault as well. Like there was players uh, quite blatantly came out and said, you know, um, my lack of uh, being able to bring other people into the game and all that type of stuff uh, was directly responsible for it. Like, yeah, I, I suppose, look, back then, that was the, the culture of that team. It was point the finger at anybody else and don't let the blame land on anybody else. Like, I've, I've looked at the game as a coach and I've looked at the game as a player and you're going, we got 14 scores. I think it was, I had a direct uh, hand in eight of them. And I was sort of go, where were the other five forwards in the day? And I, I still I, I'd still see it now watching it going, Keith, kick it in early. Just kick it in earlier. So I'd like to know, you know, how they they, they, they they got that from that, but not said, why didn't we kick the ball in earlier? And what were the other two midfielders or what were the two midfielders doing when their two midfielders have gone back? So, look, it is what it is. It's it's, it's remember for that. But look, I, w- I would have, on any other day, I probably would have got two four that day. But, you know, you end up with a couple of points and you get beaten by four. So, you know, you get well beaten on the day. But look, what can you do? Uh, 95, didn't you? You got over the line. Um, was there was there a sense of the weight being, being lifted off your shoulders as a as a team? Well, I, I, I look. I, I suppose 95. We now know it was a combination of, of of a number of years. There was a lot of fellas there that would have been there maybe 10 years. Um, I would have been there since 88. So that would have been my you know seventh or eight year at it, and there was other fellas there that were only had to come in. The but there was a sense that it was getting more. Um, there were some fellas coming to the twilight of their career that there might be too many more chances, and we trained harder that year than we trained every other year. Like that was a peculiar team that if you gave them an inch, they took a mile, and then they took a mile and a half in terms of um, how they. Um, recouped after matches, how they uh, reloaded in terms of their carbs and stuff like that, which was probably fish and chips and a few points. And But like the the, the training with Fran, just there, there was never a let up, even the week before the order, and he never let up. Every session tested to the max. And I think that was the, that was the difference. And, you know, I spoke to a few of them after, and after it was just, is this it? Is this is what all this heartache was about? You know, we finally got over, and it wasn't a sense of relief. It was just like calmness. It was like, what? Well, what's the big deal here? And I don't know whether that it, it, it was relief at the end. It was like we finally have done it. Um, the team had got sort of crankier with each other over over the, the few years, and a, a bit of desperation came, I suppose came in. It mirrors something similar to what. Mayo have, or have gone through to to a lesser extent, like but the same. It was heartbreak. We got you know beaten two finals, two semi finals, uh, four games against Mead, all that type of stuff. And I don't want to sort of blow it up to more than it was, but um, I suppose that team there was a huge amount of character in it, a huge amount of uh, people that felt they knew the the right way, and it, it sort of was counterproductive a lot of the time. I think when I look back on it now, that 
you know, everybody seemed to know what they thought was the right way, but there was no sort of really meeting the minds and sort of put the way forward down and that, you know. And it, it was actually quite a remarkable team, you know, just a few names that, that um, stood out was, you know, Pat Gilroy, Desi Farling and Jim Gavin. Um, obviously, Jim Gavin, what he's done is, is remarkable and Desi, the current manager and uh, at Gilroy. But I, would I be right in saying that kind of Gilroy really changed things for the modern Dublin generation? Yeah, look, there's no doubt, there's no doubt that when Gilroy came in, that um, he just seen what, what was happening um, wasn't, I'm not saying it wasn't Dublin-esque, because it was, it was, that's what Dublin had become synonymous for, and, you know, they, they play football, if you let them play football, they, they, they'd run rings around you, um, but he, he, he sort of came in and he had the start of the Earwigs moment, and I think, I think that was event horizon for the, that Dublin that for Dublin in general as football and um, force that we could no longer um, go on and be the way where we are because like Gilroy what he done was he united the the county for whatever reason the football team had gone away from the fans but the fans didn't resemble the team the team didn't resemble the fans and stuff like that and the team in a lot of ways doesn't resemble the fans now but they do play for for that as well but Gilroy had held a meeting with all the the managers in Dublin which was which was really an unusual move for for a Dublin manager or any manager for that that matter just to seek their opinion on what what was wrong and there was there was comments such as their you know their embarrassment they don't train as hard as other fellas were were saying they they're not really serious about their football and all that type of stuff and in fairness to Pat he obviously had his own idea what he was going to do you won't get the job unless you have that but he took all the information that he got and and gelled it together. And you know what I mean. The, the, the talk of the the, the the six o'clock in the morning session started then, and then every Friday evening up to Monaghan, the piss and wet rain, and all that type of stuff. To play hard, round out football every Friday to see who, um, who the fellas were. It reminds me a bit of what Mikko done in with Mikkel there. He just came around. He came in and he said, "Right lads, jog around there." And he went in, had his cup of tea, got his sandbone, came out right reverse and just rend them and all you're trying to do is weed out the, the mentally weak players that are going to disappear when it comes when the crunch comes and that's what Gilroy done he he got a group of players that were prepared to die with the jersey on and that was the that's the cornerstone of that team and that's why I, I said earlier that this team is built on that startled ear week moment and it's it's been that's the foundation stone that's been built on since that but he put that in about in, in relation to the players making sure that they were hard working. But the key as well, what Gilroy had done is about developing people and looking at players outside the game, which was never there before in Dublin, about making sure they were looked after and if they, did he have work? Did he do this? Did he do that? And Gilroy put in a, a program of support and say mentors, business mentors to the players that is still standing and is still there with Dublin today, which is one of the reasons why they've, they've gone on this run. And, you know, these cornerstones that are now Dublin football, and they're not going to go away tomorrow, next week, next year. And that's how Gilroy changed the whole thing, as far as I'm concerned. When, when, you know, obviously when, when Gavin came in, then um, what he's done is absolutely remarkable. But looking back, you know, I know you're, you're, you're good friends with him. Like, would anything stand out you know, looking back at the early days, that saying that look, this guy has talent and he's he's going to do well. 
I said it earlier that, that that the team had a lot of very strong characters and thought and felt that he would have known the game. And they would be very knowledgeable about the game. There's only one player from that team that didn't get involved in management to, to, to some some respect and had, had success. They all have had success. But I, I suppose Jim, when he first came on, back then it was like um, when you come onto a panel, it was uh, speak when you're spoken to. You, you were like a little child. You weren't supposed to step out of the, the breach at all and say that and should keep in the corner and say nothing. But in some of the team meetings after watching videos of matches, which used to drive me around the twist of you were, you were there for two hours looking at a match and just going, here, look. And it's amazing that your, your mind is always different to what you see in the telly anyway after you think you're not having a great game and then you're, you realise you see it in black and white and you're just going, oh, right, no, it wasn't great. But Jim would have... Um, I suppose what marked me out from would have been he would have he would have been able to say no let's stop that there and he would have brought it back two or three plays and the initial start of it of how the ball why the ball broke down and gave away a score a way and that we were always saying the last you know we used to call it the the match today uh, highlights. So that's what we were used to sort of looking at let's have a look at this. He'd go back even further. Who gave the pass to give the pass to give the pass to get the goal? Who was making the runs? Who wasn't making the runs? And that was the first thing. And that was a big, everybody's going, you know, he's, not, he's only a soul. What's he giving out about? Or what's he, that's it. That's how it started. But I, I would have got Pally with him and I was Pally with Paul Curran and stuff like that. And Jim would have bounced around um, a lot of the, the squad. There was clicks in the squad. So Jim would have bounced around all of them. And, you know, he was obviously picking up information and ideas and stuff like that. And I, I knew he was an avid reader of, of sporting uh, books, especially Mind Gurus, American Sports, and stuff like that. I still have um, the, the 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 winner with the winner within from Pat Riley that he gave that I've read constantly, and it, it's fantastic. Some of the stuff that he, that he he was reading and and that, but you you could tell that he he was going to be a success of whatever he done because he was so matter of fact, he was so driven to to get on the team, number one, and then stay on us and do whatever was required to stay on us. And then when he became manager of the 21s, it was just to say, it was very hard, fella, not to do something for her to go to war with because you knew he would do it for you and you knew there'd be no questions asked, you know. And I, I know Kerry is, uh, you know, I know you, you're good battles against them and, you know, you're, you're very good friends from there, but it's a place close to your heart. Do you want to give us an insight how you ended up down here? Well, I, I suppose uh, it was after 90, 95, um, I suppose, not getting on and I, I had my own, my own issues with that and feeling that I should have been and could have been and all that kind of crack. And then 96, Mickey Whelan comes in and we're, we're all earning champions and he wants to make a mark and he makes an absolute hames of us. Um, you know, look, I've, I've said it before that he, I think he set Dublin back 10 years, but in, in fairness, he redeemed themselves with, with Gilroy and what he done to players and with players. That an absolute fantastic coach in terms of um, his drills and stuff like that. Even back in 96, he was absolutely amazing. Um, but he didn't guess buy in from the players and he didn't get us because the way he went about um, his business at the time and telling us we were the worst team ever to win in Ireland with the worst full back line ever to win it. And no matter what happens, now this is in January, but no matter what happens, um, Eamon Heary and 
Niall Goyden, who had been dropped after 94 for disciplinary reasons, and John McNally are being brought back. Now, they're three players that I would have played with, and they'd be an asset to any team. But you don't tell um, a belligerent, um, worldly-wise, um, egotistical team that three fellas are going to come on and maybe take their place, or definitely going to take their place. So there was... A lot of uh, blowback to, to Mickey, especially about the fitness training, because we we would have felt as a team that the way Fran had trained the team the previous year to keep the, the foot down and drive us on was the way to go. And in February or March, we knew we, we weren't we weren't where we were the previous year as a group. And we went to the manager and we had asked him, can we train harder? His answer was no. And he'd have the proof on. on. So we came back with the times but he had done it backwards and we, we weren't stupid. There was a lot of clever people. So we knew he was bluffing. And as a consequence, we got beaten anyway. So um, I got a phone call uh, to this day. I find it very, very difficult to talk about later, 25 or 26, whatever it was at the time. And um, he rings me to, to, to sort of tell me that I won't be, I won't be on the panel the next year. And for me, I suppose it was... Uh, how do you describe it? I thought I was born to play football at Dublin. I thought it started at 17, 18. I was going to play until I was 30-odd, and that would be the end of it. To be told in the middle of your careers, I would have called it, coming into your prime, that you're no longer wanted. And it took me a long time to realise, but most of it was my own fault. But look, you don't you don't realise that. So I said, right, practice. Uh, I'd finished um, a three-year contract three one-year contracts with the Leinster Council as a juvenile coach or the coach organisers, the GPOs that are, are there now. And so I wasn't working and I was looking to get off to the States to play. And I, what you call it, I just said, I went to what's the hotel, the Burlington Hotel after the, the All-Ireland Final in 96, where with me and, and Mayo to see who can pick around that I, I would have known Bomber and a few others from being over there back in the early 90s. So I got chatting to a few of them. I got chatting to party and had a good few points with party and a few few beers of party. And and I remember Daryl Canada was there just looking at the two of us, sculling points. And then I think G&Ts and whatever else we could get our hands on. And he just said, you know, why are you going? And I said, well, I'm looking for work and stuff like that. And he just put, you know, why would you, would you play your football down here? And he says, well, I can't see why I wouldn't travel four hours to, to carry play football. I'm prepared to travel, fly over to New York for, for a bit of work and stuff like that. So the, the that, that all was a drawn game. So the replay, I was to meet Bomber and I met Bomber and he just says, you know, he asked me what I was looking for. And I just basically said, look, that's this was the salary I was on with the Leicester Council. That's all I'm looking for. If, if it can be done, it can be done. And he came back a couple of weeks later and said, look, there's a, the club I'm involved with down here, Cairns Ratley's, so would be looking to be maybe on a, on a one year. We'll see how things go after that. So I was happy enough with that. And that's why I arrived down with me Dublin Blazer in, in, in Tralee up to Cairns Ratley's. They must have thought I was the, the playboy of the Western world walking into the club with the Blazer and all that. And I laugh at the laugh at it now, the naivety of the whole thing. And I'm going down and representing Dublin and I'm going down to our... The, the, the boogie men as we used to call the Kerry fellas for the amount of times they used to beat us and I'm sort of going you know what do we do here so so that's how it, it ended up how I ended up down there anyway 
What was that time like? Um, I, I have, from speaking to people, you you added something different to to Strand Road at the time. Yeah, well, I don't dislike I don't dislike them too much, the, the lads, but the, there would have been a a feeling down there. It wasn't a feeling because it was true that Cairns Rattlies, you know, Strand Road would have had the probably the best defend the best defenders in the county. He would have had, as I said, the two O'Shea's, Barry and Morgan, uh, cul-de-sac. I was just onto him on LinkedIn there. Slagging him over cul de sac. He used to write that in his boots, cul de sac. And they used to ask me, trying, why is that you get this far and you have to go back? <laughs> but uh, you had Morgan, Morgan Nix, who was a former Kerry captain as well, and 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 a few others, Ken, uh, Ken Savage. So you had, you had a lot of county experienced players playing in the back in the back line. And then in midfield, you had, you had Jer Mush, as young as on O'Brien, his, his young lad is on the Kerry squad now. So we, we were we were quite strong from mid from midfield back. We had a lot of hard-working forwards, fellas that could run Martin's three in the game. Molly Malloy would run forever with the ball, but ask them where the crossbar is and the posts are, and you'd have to send them a map, a compass, and all that type of stuff. So I suppose I brought that bit of score and threat to them when I, when I came down. Like they do most of the running, they say, for me, and I do most of the score for them. <laughs> <laughs> um... I, I think you won. Did you were you top scorer in the county championship in a few, in, for one or two years? I was top scorer in the county for the three years I was down there. Jesus, and uh, yeah. in 1999, um, you won Division One against the Goyetuk. Then at the time, Goyetuk yeah. was just did a great team, star-studded team. Yeah. Wasn't it? Well, they, they had six or seven on the carry the carry panel, I think, at the time, and. I, you know, I was just back from holiday uh, the week before that, and yeah, that you know, be be that was that was my last game for for Ratleys, and I got, I got one for that day, and you know, we won that, and it was it sort of set them up for their, you know, that that gave them that little bit of confidence to to move on. Declan Quill was at the coming on to the squad then. Um, who else was at the coming on then? Yeah, Stephen Wallace who who joined us a couple of years before that as well. So. They were they were a common team, and then John O'Connor and a few other lads like that had had come onto the squad, and you know that set them up for their win, their county title in two thousand and two. You know, and have you any any good stories or memories from um, exploring the the um, public places around around Kerry? <laughs> I've 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 loads. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of there's a lot of Kerry men now down there absolutely sweating, but uh, I won't the full chatting like that. But I look, I, I, I you know, had a lot of great time and really enjoyed my time down in Kerry. You reacquainted me with the the love of the game and you know how much it means to people really down there compared to Dublin. It's it, you know, there's very few clubs in Dublin that would have anything like the the love relationship they have with their football team and that. Um, but uh, you know, I suppose the funniest thing I ever had was I, I'd actually retired and I was party had invited us down to play in his, his uh competition in February the year I think it was the year after I left, and I was on crutches because I'd done the cruciate, so I was down and we played in Guayatoc in the first game, we got absolutely mangled, and the lads went on on the session, but they were on the session the night be- the night before until six or seven in the morning or whatever it was. So we were right back down into parties and we we're having a few points and all that type of stuff. And you know, and party came down and sat down, he got a tray of drink and that, that was for us too. And we were drinking away and Dara came in, he was sitting down and 
you know, I, I could just I remember there was fellas from all over the country, and I just the uh, I suppose. The surreal feeling of going, you know, one of the really, really, the word legend is thrown out not an awful lot, but you're sitting there with Paddy and he's treating you like a king. And Darrow Shea, who was on the way to becoming one of the, the absolute all-time greats as well, was there with you. And you're having the point. I just remember seeing some of the fellas out of the club looking and they were gobsmacked, absolutely gobsmacked that I was drinking with these two these two fellas. And I suppose later on that night, um, we were, we were in a disco and in, in town party wasn't there. Now we were in Dingle, um, but Dara was there. And we were coming back out and Dara was giving us directions. I was hobbling up and it's the square in Dingle, if you, if you know it from. We're going up a bit of a hill, yeah. And next of all, this Viennese going, it would start ringing out around the Dara just says, <laughs> it doesn't get better than that. And I said, I, it was unbelievable. Like it was a real surreal moment. So something like out of a cartoon, but I just said, Oh, geez, I'm glad I went when I did because even up until this year, fellas, are you coming back? Because they would have felt maybe you went a year, maybe early and that. But but I can't tell you any of the other stories. We just thought to be solicitors, letters and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Just before we move on, um, I just want to touch on the Kerry Hurlers. Um, yeah. What was that like? You know, I, I suppose look, you were you were, you were a legend in Dublin, you were a legend of the, the hill and then but not a green gold jersey. Um I think that might have been a bit difficult, was it? Yeah, but look, I I, I suppose when I went down there was t- there was a lot of talk of me playing with Kerry with the footballers. Kerry, Kerry had been in the doldrums in the football and the <clears throat> party was being put under a bit of pressure to for me to play. <clears throat> but you know Kerry being Kerry with huge traditions and something I usually admire with them that you know they, they'd rather as some fellas we'd rather never win it again than to play playing outsiders with women which is the right way to the right way to look at it as well I suppose and so you, you don't really get a, a look in with the footballers and I, 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 it just came to me there was a friend of mine out of the club there was the, the Kerry Hoarders um, which be fairly a regular occurrence, I believe, that they did have a falling out with the county board over something and they didn't, they weren't putting their players up. Now, I hadn't really been, been hurling down there. I, I'd done a bit of training with uh, Brendan's of Art Fair. I'd, I was coaching them and stuff like that for that year. And I was just asked whether I could go out play, playing against Cork. And that to me was like, do you want the game? Yeah, I just went out without really putting any much thought into it. But I, I've said a few times after there, there certainly was a jolt of electricity went through me that that day that I cheapened the Kerry jersey and I cheapened the Dublin jersey by doing it. It was it just felt so wrong for me, and I like I, I really understood why Kerry people were so against me not playing. And if it had been me, I would have signed the petition for me not to play as well. But look, um, I won't take won't take it back. I can't. Um, but you know. They get to play hurling against Cork in championship. There's not too many dubs have 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 that are able to say that you know. We still got beaten, but look, you know, it was it was something that I done. Um, you can't take it back, but it, it was it, it didn't feel right. In fairness, you know. And at the time, I know hindsight, it, it probably I think you're on record for saying you glad it didn't happen because you probably won't be able to return to Dublin. But um, were you kind of put out at the time that you weren't brought in? to the Kerry Senior Squad, football squad? Well, you see, I was that annoyed after getting dropped in, in 96 in the football team. I think the first year I would have played and I wouldn't have, wouldn't have knocked the beat of worry off me at all. Um, 
did it bother me that I didn't get a select? No, because I sort of fell out of love with football at that stage, but before when I went down, and I was really only beginning to sort of find find myself as well. I was a bit lost, I suppose, for for a long time. I was really sort of minded in a lot of ways down down in, in Strand Road, and then Ari Stephanie sort of uh, took care of me in a lot of ways. And the late pass, um, sorry, Pahili, um, that was chairman at the time, he. He he looked after me. Definitely was like a father figure, and 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 sort of looked after a lot of stuff for me in that. So, um, I don't think I, I was in in the headspace to, to play county to commit hundred percent to county. I probably wasn't like that for for a few years before that, even even at Dublin. But, um, you know, I, I, I put it this way: I didn't lose any sleep over not getting called up for Kerry. You know, I've said it after that. If I had of you may I may have had another couple of all earnings, and that would have been fantastic in, in, in other ways. But um for me not to have the two years um with Dublin when I came back and I suppose uh, making the peace, what I would have thought with Dublin people and Dublin supporters um meant the war to me. And if I not having that, I think I still would have been sort of chasing something. I didn't stop playing until I was forty eight and I'm going back playing this year. And um, myself and the, the my two brothers are going to play one game hopefully this year for the club. So I wouldn't have had that. I definitely wouldn't have the the grand and the passion for the game that I, that I always had. But I lost that um, somewhere in, in the nineties. But I found it down in, in Tralee and within Cairns or Atlees, which I'd be forever grateful. When did just did a brief insight? Um, how did you get back into the Dublin setup then? Um, well, I was coming back to after '99. I was I was coming back to Dublin, um, and I got a phone call from John O'Leary. Asked me would I be would I be happy enough to, to to try out with the seniors to have a go, and I was all on for it. I was I knew at that stage I was probably two two and a half stone, three stone maybe overweight compared to where I was, um, back in the the early '90s. So I was kind of, I was sort of hiding, so. I missed about five or six weeks. And Tommy Carr, who I would have played with, and Tommy and me would be chalk and cheese, but we always got on when 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 we played. Never had fallen out or talk or but my I got Tommy and Tommy got me. And he just said what he said to me was, When you don't there's not 70 minutes in you, I'm not looking to you for 70 minutes. I'm asking, can you make a difference with a five or ten minutes to go in the Leinster final? And that was a different question to me. And that sort of whetted my appetite. And he said, yeah, look, we can't introduce you to the players uh, the way you are. We're going to have to ring you out um, to get you a little bit lighter. So he put me on a six-week uh, training program with Sheska uh, Murphy, who was a, a sergeant in the, in the army, and become good friends with him. And so we would have been training up in total fitness for um, three or four nights a week for five or six weeks to get the weight down. And he put me on this uh, weight loss program. I lost 10 pounds in, in, in 10 days and all this type of stuff. So that's that's how it started. It, it, he didn't have to sell it, sell it to me that hard, but the fact that it was for 10 minutes, we know you're not going to be able to keep up with these lads and train and compare to where you are and all that type of stuff. So we cleared a little bit of the baggage. You just sort of put a carrot in front of me five or 10 minutes in a game. Is that going to be, make a difference? Now, I started a lot of games after I came back, but it was really only to make an impact as as a sub, really. So, you know, as I said, without those last two years, I don't know where it would be now, you know. You have to respect them for, you know, I suppose. Yeah, I've, I've met Tommy a few times since, and, you know, like Tommy, I, I think he was born at Dublin. He talks with a, with a 
with a tip action. His brother Declan, who was oh, Declan be more like me. There's a touch of madness in Declan as well, and great crack and great fun. And Tommy is good fun, very dry, dry sense of humor. Um, but there, there was always an honesty between the two of us. And that that's I think why he knew when I came in that I was going to give it a good shot and not sort of act the, the maggot and stuff like that. So um yeah, look, Tommy was one of these. He was a captain that I played under and would have had huge respect for him. And, you know, he's one of these fellas that gave absolutely having to play with Dublin as well. So he, he wasn't a difficult fella to, to admire, you know. And in, in 2001 as well, just to, to <coughs> shed some light on it, there's actually two games. Um, and were both of them played in, in Torlis, the, the game against yeah, yeah, both of them were playing in Torlis. Um, I, I, I think the GAA just decided that it was going, they were going to branch out and bring the dubs and bring Kerry to places that didn't see football before. Like Torlis would be traditionally, you know, monster hurling fun. It's very rarely, I think when we went down, I was probably the only player from either squad that had played down there. I played multiple times with the, the minors and, and that. So I was well used to it. And I always used to say it'd be a fantastic place to play football, that a place was like a carpet. It was a fantastic place. But yeah, amazing scenes going down. Like Dublin and Kerry hadn't played against each other since '86 in in championship, and Kerry were were starting really starting to come. They'd won a couple of all in '97 and 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 2000. So or yeah, so you know we were sort of um, finding our way a bit. We were sort of be, between teams as such. If you know, if you want, we were really trying to find our way. And we went down in the first game, Dublin supporters back then and still they were always 20 minutes late for whatever reason. But it wasn't uh, from the not coming out of the pubs or whatever it might have been. It was because the traffic down was just a bottleneck. And I remember coming in in the crowd thinking, this is unbel- unbelievable that the hairs just stood up in the back of your neck to see this crowd of, say, blue and, you know, blue and navy. And then you had the green and gold. And it was just... Kerry people and Dublin people when they get together when it comes to matches to stick and the crack just be flying like you know what I mean and you could see the enjoyment and the fun and there were warm days as well so you know it it was just different than anything else it wasn't really done back then and it was the first year as well I think of where the back doors come in so we'd been beating the Leinster and we'd come back in we'd played Sligo the, the week or two before that so it was really unusual for us to Oh, we're actually being beat, but you're still in. What's this? This is all new. So, look, there were, there were, there were, if you look back in the games, the quality probably would have um, left you going, hmm, inter county, not, no, not really. But the, the games were, were good for the time that, that they were there. And, you know, I suppose the topsy turvy nature of Kerry going so far ahead and me coming back in both games and, and nearly snatching them in the first game. And the second game, we got close, but we, we ran out of steam, I suppose, in the end. But I, I don't, don't know where the GAA got the idea. They should do it. I think, you know, the dubs should be um, brought around the country, a bit like what they do with the puck fair and bring them around in this cage, top of the cage, all, to all the towns, and show them off. as this, you know, deep, this is the real greatest team of all time. <laughs> uh, but do, I swear, definitely, though, do you think there is a place for something like that going forward? I know they do it for... Um, the back door, like, but we say quarterfinals or, or semifinals, I suppose, semifinals in Crow Park, really. I, I, I don't see why you can't. I, you know what I mean? The, the, the biggest problem, you know, people think that Crow Park is Dublin's home ground, they play a lot of their home grounds, but it's not, it's done there because the, the GA has gone very commercialized, and the, the GA at the moment, Crow Park is 
is a separate business to the GA. So that has to make money. So deals are being done to, to get Dublin in. You know, to me, if anybody asks where I, I trained and played most of my league games in Parnell Park, home games in Parnell Park, some games we did play in, in Crow Park, if you're going to get a crowd of 30,000 or whatever. And that was the reason why I was played there. But I do, I do think that, um, especially in Leinster, that the game should be brought else, brought to other, other places. And, you know, that they haven't been there. Wouldn't it be great to see Dublin versus Wicklow if they're playing in Ockram? Fantastic. Or far from places. They do that. But I, I'd, I'd still like, you know, the odd time, a semi-final, maybe bring them out. Because it's been thrown at the Dubs. And look, if you, if you look at any Dublin player that has ever played, the, the day trips or the, the trips away are what makes it. Like when we talk to the fellas that play for the uh, different counties and they're traveling all the time, and um, the different, like, you know, a fella from Carter's Ravine to go up to, to play in either Austin Stacks or up in Clarny, that's a, an hour and a half's journey. It's not like it's just jump in, you're there in 20 minutes. So, um, look, and with us, like, we're playing in Crow Park, you're, I get to train in, you get the bus into Fairview and you, you walk up and you walk out and you get the bus or train home. So it's very hard to have any sort of fun and crack and all that, but not where if it's a way you can stop off somewhere and have a have a beer and have a bit of banter with the crowd or whatever it might be. And I, I just think it'd be great for, for the GA if they really want to spread the word and spread the game, go and play it maybe in Nolan Park, play it in Horland countries and, and and see our county, see how it actually might spread and might catch on then, you know. And when did the, the chant you, you you referred to there wrong? But when did it originate? Uh, Vinny's going to get you. Um, when did, was that against Offaly or something? Yeah, well, I, I look. I suppose look when I came back, I'd I'd come from a team with huge characters where there'd be loads of fellas that stand up and put their body on the line and you know take a belt or give it a belt and. You know, they, there was never a bending in the knee. We might have got beaten, and we got beaten by better teams. We got beaten because their tactics were better. We got beaten by poor refereeing decisions, whatever. We never bet ourselves. We never bended the knee to any team. And when I came back, there was a, not saying there was a certain amount of that, but I think it, it mainly there was the older fellas that, say, the likes of Desi, the likes of Paul Horn and me, we were sort of 30, 31 at that age group. But then there was... There wasn't enough of fellas there that would say between the 24 and 28 that would have carried that the heavy load. And then there was a load of young lads, the likes of uh, Johnny McGee and Paddy Christie, younger fellas that hadn't um, really, I'd say, really grown as players yet to, to, to take the, the hard bells, to take the, the, the pressure that would have been coming on. And... I suppose the Offaly game, I, w- I was just watching it and I was sort of going, right, me, they're the big team in Leinster. I was said, there, we have to make sure we beat them because they'd won 99, they were coming up. Then Kildare, who had won a couple of Leinster titles, Offaly never were, would have been on my radar in terms of, of a team that you had to work, watch out for. And there I was watching the sideline, uh, fellas that I knew were better than, than they were shown, uh, getting beat up a stick just because they were second-guessing themselves, didn't believe in themselves. And I came in at half time and I went absolutely went ballistic in the dressing room. And John O'Leary had to grab me into the toilet and to calm me down. I just said, lads, I don't mind getting beaten. I've never minded getting beaten. But I've always had a problem with was a group of players. If they just didn't try, they weren't putting themselves out there. I've always said, you have to put your hand out to be smacked. If you don't do that, don't take the jersey. And 
for whatever reason, I, I just got so annoyed. And I, so as, as it turned out, I don't know whether they were thinking they could have brought me on early as far as I, but I think they might have gone, this fellow, you don't know what he might do. And I remember so saying, um, there was a, a fellow in the club, Brendan O'Brien, that played with Dublin as well, um, just before that. And he'd got a he'd got a bit of a belt off one of the Offaly fellas and lost a couple of teeth and stuff like that. And I just said, uh, I used to give him off a stick over saying, that, he said, the only fellow, the only the only thing you got a touch of is someone's fist in Crow Park. We used to say to him, a stick. But I, I, I suppose when we went, when I came on, I just said, I'm not backing down from The first fella that comes near me, I'm just going to... So I came on straight. And for whatever reason, everybody thinks I went after everybody. But I came on and never never left the position straight in. And four or five fella hopped off me. And I'm sort of going, you know, I'm probably two stone heavier than all yous, But I don't know where yous are coming from with doing this. So that became something um, that the crowd... So I got involved and we ended up, we got a couple, I got a couple of points that we snuck over the line against them and that Vinny's going to get you. But I believe it came from, there was an ad on the telly that's belly's going to get you where this thing, I don't know what the ad was, but there was a big fat belly going around chasing people in an ad and the, the set of belly's going to get you, Vinny's going to get you. So it was a bit of embarrassing at the time for me, but look at, you know, what I mean? there's not too many footballers have had songs and stuff named called after them. So I'll, I'll take it, you know. Can you just, um, I suppose it's hard to describe. Can you describe what it's like the hill chanting your name and getting behind you? Obviously, it must be surreal, really. Yeah, but I, I suppose if you, if you ask any former footballer, at, at the time, you you don't really appreciate what's what what's the adulation that's coming your way. And you're sort of being told toward hand by people that are on the hill and on in the crowd and saying, just, they must be fantastic. Of course, you hear the, the hill and you hear the crowd and you come out and it's like the people that have been lucky enough to, you know, experience it when they come out in the big days and stuff like that. And it's a bubble of sound that you come out through and it's just, and it could nearly you know, knock you off your feet if you're not prepared for it. And I look, I, as, as I said, you know, when I played from 88 to say 95, I would have been, I would have considered myself a serious footballer. And um, early on from say 88 to probably 92 into 93, I put a huge amount of effort in. But as I said, the, probably thinking about the game too much, um, worrying about things too much, just got on top of me and all that type of stuff. But I, I would have been, you know, I would have put myself up there with any footballer on any given any given Sunday. And then I was sort of would have been regarded, but you know, not as much as other players at that stage. And then to get the love and adulation, I suppose, in 2000 and 2001, and I wasn't half a footballer, I was was unusual to say to say the least. But you know, I was sort of going, I'm not like how it was Kieran Whelan was playing and he was flying at that stage, and I was going. And it maybe it's just the the cult thing of me coming back and all that type of stuff. But I, I'd like to think it was that I represented Dublin people, um, the humour and the way and all that type of stuff, and they they seen something in me and like that was that was put a hat on it for me really. You know what I mean? That I was accepted back into my own again, where I can slip back down to carry. You know, like and then go back in. It's been half a, half a dub again and all that type of stuff as I was down there. But you know, amazing times really. You know. Um, I mean to just run a boy. What was the biggest change when you went down to Kerry? Just what was the biggest shock to the system? 
the biggest shock to the system was well, there was two really. That the first one was when when you went to a pub that they didn't stay in the same pub for long. They normally had one and a half points in the pub, <laughs> so you had to. And then you were moving around. The second thing is you were you stood up in the pub. You didn't sit down and have. <laughs> it was like what? And then when the pub got too loud and not being used to the, the Kerry lingo, and you're you know, and they'd be going, you know, and I I, I think I used to answer everyone going. That all right, so I had no clue what was being said. So getting used to the speed that you guys spoke at, especially when it was a crowd that was like, or really, I was I got used to trying to lip read them and all that type of stuff. Uh, the other thing was the the football. Um, it was slower than Dublin. Um, the pace of the game and the club level was way behind what Dublin was, but it was more skillful. Cornerbacks, wing backs were all comfortable on the ball. Uh, wing forwards all able to play. Um, where in Dublin, a lot of athletes were playing, a lot of fellas that were fit, strong, fast. Every team would have one or two forwards. But in Kerry, a corner back could come up and kick a point. That that would re, wouldn't be really seen in Dublin. So that that was the, the biggest difference uh, to it, that you got more time in the ball. But, you know, there were cuter, cuter footballers than in Dublin, where Dublin was, we beat you by running, we beat you with our fitness, beat you with our strength. Where in Kerry they'll beat you with cuteness, and if you couldn't beat you with cuteness, then they just try and beat you up. Or <laughs> like the different ways of playing, I suppose. You know, you kind of touched it in there on about possibly bringing Dublin, you know, out of Crow Park and around Leinster just to kind of grow the game in, yeah. in hurling regions. What do you think could be done to, we'll say, to increase the awareness of the game outside of Ireland, perhaps in London and New York? Well, I look. I know there the, the international rules is one area that they're going, but it's only ever played in Australia or Ireland. So that could be done with an international dimension, and you can bring. I know the Horan have done it where they played eleven aside with the All Stars and stuff like that. You know, um, I, I I just think they 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 need to to look at. I would say a loss leader playing in different countries and different cities, putting on. Um, putting on exhibition games and stuff like that where they're, it's well marketed. Um, I remember playing in a game in 89 over in, um, over in Toronto and what's called, I can't think of the name of the, the Sky Dome was one of the famous um, pitch, played Toronto in, a, in, in Paddy's Day and that was marketed for months and months before that and there was 30 or 40,000 people at us and because the crowd was there, that game in Paddy's Day was hot and heavy between ourselves and, and Toronto. It was a great game and I think they could have done, we could do more of that, not just have these um I suppose I call them challenge matches. You know, and a challenge match is a challenge, it's not friendly. You know, it's not an exhibition where you're going off and showing it's where there's actually a little bit of cut and trust and there could be something there for the, the winners of it. You know, I mean whether it be a team holiday or whatever it might be, and it could be done as a, a warm-up sort of competition to and I think the players would love that if you're going, oh, we're going to London this year, we're in New York or we're in Paris or whatever it might be. Because you always have um, the people from Ireland that are living abroad will always flock to something like that if it, if it, if they're given time to it. And I just think that's something you could do. And it'd be a way of uh, rewarding the players as well to say if they're on the county panel, we're getting a trip to such and such. Because that would have been that trip to you know, over to Canada at that time, Toronto was one of the best trips I was ever on in terms of organisation, in terms of, we were over there, I think, for 10, 10, 15 days, and we were given an allowance every day by the GA, so we were like, 
professional footballers. So that was brilliant. Like, you know, so we weren't, you were spending the GAA's money, we weren't spending their own. So it was great. That's amazing. I never knew you played over in, in Toronto. Yeah. Um, that must have been a great experience. Oh, well, yeah, look, it, it was a pitch, it's, it's a pitch, it was a plastic pitch, and we had to wear the knee bandages. And because if you didn't, you get cut the absolute ribbons. And I don't know whether you know the stadium, the stadium actually can close down, the seats move around where it can actually come in as small as a tennis tennis court, and there's a roof on it and that can come over and all that. It's absolutely like when you look at it, you just go, it's. So it's like something else, science, uh, science fiction, really. And like they're playing that back in, that was, I think that was 1990 we played in that. And the, the gassing was ourselves in throne because we were beating the beating all in semi finalists from 89. Um, Cork and who was the Cork? Who played? Who did he play? Oh, I can't think who Cork played in the final that year. In 1990, I can't think of who Cork played in the final. But they had they ended up in the weekend in London because that was promised year promised probably two years ago. So they were looking for two teams. So we were the next two teams, to say the next best two teams. So we got an absolute fantastic trip out of it. And they got a trip for a weekend over to New York or over to London to play, where we got up to the Sky Dome, which was which was brilliant, you know. Yes, that's amazing. There's definitely opportunities there for them. Um and what's your your feeling on we say the game? I, look, it, it's gone very professional, commercial-like now. Um, do you think this is going to stop, or where will it stop? There's only there's only so much you can put into it. I know um, I know when my last year, when you, you talk about travel to and from matches, or to and from training, training times and all that, it was somewhere between 30 to 35 hours a week. I think the players are, are putting the same effort in now, but they're... I think they're getting more bang for their buck. A lot of um, their training is done remotely, so a bit of the traveling is taken out and all that type of stuff. But there has to be an end game to all this um, in terms of how far you can push the body mentally and physically um, before it breaks down and before fellas go, you know what, um, this is way too much effort in for 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 a pastime. I think uh, Pro Park going as a separate entity, as a, as a money-making machine for, for the GAA, has set the the GAA on a collision course for professional professionalism. It's only a matter of time. I'm only hoping, um, as a traditionalist, that doesn't doesn't get to that stage. But what they may may do is I've seen that this being banded around a few times that the players may get a tax break, and I don't know whether you can do that yearly or at the end of their career or something like that. Because players eventually are going to realise that they're putting their whole careers on hold for ten years, and that's um, in terms of relationships and get married and stuff, where is that going to lead them, lead for them down the line and all that type of stuff? So, I, I just think it's something that has to be looked at. I don't, I wouldn't have no problem if the players never get a holiday and got maybe 10, 15, 20 grand or whatever it might be at the end of the year as a thank you for, for it. Yeah, what, what's your feeling going forward with, with Dublin? Um, they're definitely a couple of stages or they're definitely well ahead of the, the past years, they say. Who do you think can stop them or what needs to be done? What can be done? The, the, only, the only thing that can stop them now, and I, I, I mean this sincerely, is themselves. I just think they, they, they're still that five or six points ahead of everybody. I think um, Mayo, Manfleet, Troy, but they, they have the defence and the, the, the physicality to stay with them for, for 60, 70 minutes. Uh, I think Tyrone defensively um, 
but they they don't offer enough going forward. I I honestly feel Kerry have never acknowledged that this Dublin team are better than them. And I know they made a huge mistake this year by trying to play defensive football. You will never beat this Dublin team playing defensively. And if that's why Kerry were being set up this year to, to try and beat Dublin and used to like of Clifford and stuff like that, like Kerry haven't lasted 70 minutes in three years, which is a hugely strange thing to say about a Kerry team that they haven't lasted 70 minutes. In, and I think that until Kerry get to, to that stage and probably shore up the defence a small bit, um, Dublin are going to, going to win for the next couple of years, you know. Just out of curiosity, we'll, we'll finish up now. Um, yeah. what, what is your, you know, you hear this um, put around to people about splitting Dublin. What's your feeling around that? Well, you know what I mean? It, it, it's an easy thing to throw and I can understand why people do it and why people say it. Um, but it, Pat Gilroy came out, I know it was a flipping remark, you know, how would you guys feel uh, that yourselves and Cork uh, amalgamated into one team? And you let that digest and, and the bitterness and the how that would feel. To me, if they split Dublin, I would stop following the game. I think it goes against everything about the GAA. Um, Dublin have to be a panned at the moment over everybody in the country. But that, that that's not going to stay there forever. Dublin are going to compete every year going forward until uh, the likes of John Costello are changing direction from the, the, count, the CEOs of, of Dublin GAA. But that's not doesn't seem to be stopping at any time soon. Um, but look, the likes of Kerry, the likes of Mayo, the likes of Tron, other teams will come. And I, as I said, this start Learwig's generation of players that are slowly dwindling, when they go, that's when the big questions of, of Dublin um, will be asked. Like in the next 12 months, um, Dublin are going to have probably six or seven of that panel retire. That's going to be a big knock. And all of a sudden, they're going to sink back down to where everybody else is. And then it's going to become a very, very competitive um, football championship then. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll wrap it up there. Sorry for, yeah. for taking so much time. Look, yeah, I'd no like problem. to thank you um, from, from us here at Inside View Podcast for taking time out. I really appreciate it. Look, that is all from us on this week's podcast. Please do get in contact with the show. If you have any stories and you want to contribute in some way, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, don't forget to rate, review and tell your friends and family about an Inside View podcast. It means a huge amount to us. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media as well. We actually have some really exciting um, competitions coming up as well in the next couple of weeks. More to follow on that. If you want to know what what it's all about, be sure to to, to follow us on our social media, and we'll we'll uh, we'll be providing some insight over the next couple of weeks. Uh, on Instagram, you'll find us at underscore on the ball team building. Over on Facebook, it's on the ball team building. Over on Twitter, it's at we are on the ball two. There's a digit two. You'll also find us on LinkedIn. It's on the ball team building, and you'll also find us on Twitter. On apologies on uh, TikTok as well. It's on the ball team building. Look till then. Please do stay safe and remember, cred unus fin. Talk to you all soon, and thank you all for listening.